Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4 and please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> the book of Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest that which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You may be seated. John Gibson wrote a book, The War on Christmas, and it certainly speaks the sentiments and feelings of a lot of American people who are concerned about trying to ban God and the Ten Commandments and prayer and anything of spiritual significance, including Christmas and Easter, the nativity scene, from public places. There's a war involved that's trying to ban these things from public life in America. But I believe that the truth will prevail and that if people who are concerned about it will speak up, that it will change things. Bethlehem was the birthplace of the Messiah. He was born king. He was destined to have a throne and a kingdom. The prophet called him governor the book of Isaiah. He would rule the people and he would also be called the Prince of Peace. Governor, King, Ruler, the Almighty One, also known as the Prince of Peace. The title of my message is The Compassionate Christ. The Compassionate Christ. The Ruler, the King, the Governor, the Mighty One, the Messiah, also the Prince of Peace and the Compassionate Christ. The baby Jesus would have a lot of visitors to his quaint nursery site and the privacy would be invaded by a constant stream of visitors. Shepherds would make their way there after hearing out on the hillside of Bethlehem the angel message telling them not to be afraid for under you is born this day in the city of David, Christ the Savior. And then a multitude of the heavenly host appearing in the clouds above, singing or chanting, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I don't believe that we have recorded all that the angel said. I don't believe that we have recorded all that was either chanted or sung by the angelic chorus. Very likely this most significant event in human history was announced by the angel to the shepherds in greater volume than we have recorded. No doubt this multitude of angelic visitors that filled the sky had a few more words to say other than glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I imagine the hallelujah chorus that rang out across the hills and maybe have invaded the city of Bethlehem itself. 
probably by tens of thousands of angels as they were singing something that would make Handel's Messiah look like a very brief rendition. It probably lasted for hours because this was a wonderful event in history. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. And so the shepherds made their way and said, let us go now to Bethlehem to see this thing which has come to pass. They made their way to the stable scene and there they saw the Christ. I don't believe the angels who made all the distance from heaven to earth, the journey to announce the birth and to celebrate his birth would allow these shepherds the privilege of being a private group to see this miracle. I just can imagine that they hovered over the city of Bethlehem and they peered into that manger thinking, can you imagine this miracle? Think of that. There lies the Son of God. He's the Messiah. That is the Christ child. I believe the angels came to Bethlehem stall. I don't know exactly where the wise men found him. It said they came into the house. But when they came, no doubt they too invaded the privacy of his quaint nursery to celebrate with all of those who had heard about their visit and the star up in the skies. And maybe there was a steady stream of visitors to see the Christ child. When the shepherds left out of Bethlehem, they left out with great joy, telling people that they had seen the Christ, the Lord's Christ. Can you imagine people receiving that information passively? Every Jew hoped for the coming of the Messiah. They longed for this. And now then, this group of shepherds walking down through the streets of Jerusalem, we've seen him. I mean, they probably were a little excited as they reported the results of their journey. The angels told us, and we heard the multitude shouting it in the skies. We had to come and see it for ourselves. Now then, listen to us. This is the day, this is the hour. Christ has come. He's born, he's down there, down the street. I imagine there was a steady stream of visitors who made their way to see the Christ and wonder what could be so? So it was a, a wonderful event. The baby would attract needy people and they would come thinking when Christ comes, when Messiah shows up, he will be a person that has great power. Isaiah called him the Prince of Peace. He's a compassionate man. He not only is a governor and a king and a ruler and a prophet, but he's a Prince of Peace. He's the compassionate Christ. And so hope filled their breast as they longed to get their very first glimpse of the Christ child. From the very beginning, Jesus was a people person, even lying in a manger or in the setting of the home where people would come a little bit later to see him. Yes, he was a people person. He was not hidden away from public eye. At the age of only 40 days old, he was carried to the temple for dedication and there Anna, the prophetess, and Simeon, the prophet, prophesied over him. I don't believe that we have recorded in Luke all the words that they prophesied. Can you imagine them just giving those short lines over the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Governor, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God? 
I just imagine that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they had quite a long list of pro prophetic words to say about this child that had been brought to the temple for dedication. When he was only 12 years of age, he went back to Jerusalem and he was sitting in the midst of doctors and lawyers discussing with them the Holy Scriptures. He was a people person. He was where people are. Always from a babe through his youth, he was a people person. In John chapter 2 and verse 4, he was at a wedding and his mother told him, we have no more beverage for the people. And he said, woman, what have I to do with thee? He called her woman. That was not a disrespectful title because she was a woman. And indeed, he's saying, you're in a different ball game. I am here on my father's mission. What have I to do with you when you're calling upon my services to inaugurate my ministry? Woman, what have I to do? But he turned the water into wine at the wedding. I love weddings. I try never to miss one. I don't understand anyone who is called to preach missing a wedding. I love funerals because again, there are people there, people who need you, people who need a handshake, people who need a smile, people who need a prayer. I don't understand, understand anyone who's called to the ministry that doesn't make it to every funeral that their church embraces. And we try to tell our staff, you're expected there. You're expected to be there because people are there. And they are looking for someone who knows the answers to some of their problems and have a, a, has a concern about some of their needs. Then in John chapter 19 and in verse 25, Jesus looked out over the crowd at the foot of the cross and he sees his mother, Mary. And he says, woman, behold thy seen. Once again, he uses the term woman. But behold thy son. And he says to John, Behold thy mother. Now, I don't understand why he didn't call some of the brothers like James and Joseph and Simeon and Judas. His sisters were there also. I don't know why he didn't call on them. Maybe they were not responsible. Maybe they did not have the same degree of concern because we do know that his own brethren did not believe in him for a while. And so he said, John, behold thy mother. Take care of her. I, I commit her into your care. And so there, once again, we see that Jesus as a people person is not concerned about his own suffering, his own inconvenience, and what is happening to him. He's concerned about his mother. He's concerned about those who are there to follow him. Yes, he was a people person. My text says he was touched with a feeling of our infirmities. Touched, affected affected by the feeling of our infirmities. When you're hurt, he's concerned. When you're lonely, he's with you. When you're sad, he gives you joy. When you're sick, he's the great physician. He offers you healing. When you're mean and bitter and vindictive and sour, he is patient and long-suffering. Can everybody say amen? Don't get quiet on me. Jesus sought out people. There were times that he would go and spend all night in prayer. There were times that he would find a place of solace and he would be alone. But he ministered on the streets, by the seashore, on the mountainside, at the temple, in the synagogue, 
in people's homes, and along the roadside. He ministered to the multitudes constantly. He sought out people in the marketplace, the temple, the synagogue, at weddings and funerals and public gatherings. He didn't avoid them. He didn't stay home. He didn't wear dark glasses and try to hide from the public and hide his identity. No one can accuse Jesus of avoiding people. If he had an answering machine, it would only be for the purpose of returning calls, not to avoid or screen out people that didn't want to talk to. You might as well say amen, or oh me. He didn't avoid the outcast, the undesirables, the people who were looked down on, the downtrodden. The blind beggars were welcome to his side in the mix of the multitude around him. He would call the blind beggars to his side. Lepers would come to him freely. They would seek him out. The issue of blood did not keep the woman from pressing through the crowd to touch the him of his garment. Demon-possessed maniacs with chains trying to bind them in the tombs were welcome to come to Jesus as he would bring their deliverance. The hated tax collectors felt free to dine with him and invite him to their home. Racial prejudice never kept him from going to where people needed him. He went to Samaria there were no dealings between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so he asked the woman at the well for a drink of water. And she said, how is it that you, being a Jew, would ask a Samaritan for a drink of water? And you know that story well. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, my text says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Praise God, he can be touched. Touched with our, the feeling of our infirmities. The compassionate Christ. The compassionate Christ. Oh, that we could be like him. Oh, that we would seek to emulate him. That we'd pattern our life and our ministry, our profession, our career after him that we would live that kind of life where we can touch people. Praise God, he can be touched. He didn't avoid the people. He came to the people. He invited them to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. John Stallings wrote the song, Touching Jesus is all that matters. I can't think of enough of it to sing, and so maybe the Lord blotted it out of my memory bank so that I could spare you today. So you better say, thank God. <laughs> there are a lot of men who are untouchable. People in the ministry are untouchable. They have guards to keep people away from them. I understand, but Jesus never needed that. He never wanted that. He never permitted that. Oh, that we could be like Jesus. Lepers were to keep a distance in their society from crowds and from individuals, from their own family. It was a plague. They were unclean. They were to be segregated. They could not get near other people. 
The book of Numbers chapter 13 verse 45 says, The leper in whom the plague is, his clothing shall be rent, his head shall be bare, he shall put a covering over his upper lip and shall cry unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the humility, the humiliation of walking through the streets with a mask saying unclean, unclean, get away from me, stay away from me. Unclean all the days wherein the plague shall be in him. He shall be defiled. He would contaminate other people. But the leper came, came to Jesus, and Jesus touched him. Thank God for that divine touch. Jesus did not rebuke him. He did not push him away. He did not say these people are not to be affected by your presence. Guilty, unclean, impure, defiled, as you may feel, you're welcome at the feet of Jesus. He says, come to me. He's the compassionate Christ. You may have failed. You may have messed up big time. It may be that this Christmas you feel so guilty, you don't even want to be a part of a celebration. But you're welcome. Jesus is the compassionate Christ. And he came down from heaven to be your savior. The compassion of Jesus is indicated for us in Mark chapter one and verse four to one. It says, Jesus was moved with compassion. The word moved here means motivated, compelled, um, launched. Somehow or another, whatever action he takes, walking, reaching out, talking, he was moved with compassion. What is it that moves us? Money? Recognition? Appreciation? Love? Something moves us. I mean, there's some way to get us to act. We can get stirred up some way or another. What is it that moves us? Jesus was moved with compassion. It dominated his life. It controlled him. Not to the sense that God was not in control, but God put this compassion in Christ and he was moved with compassion. Oh, that we would be a church moved with compassion. Oh, that we would be a family and an individual Christian moved with compassion. Not avoiding people, not wishing that they would go somewhere else, and not distract us from whatever goals we have in mind and whatever things that we have that we need to do. Compassion in the Bible, in Vine's dictionary, is defined as having pity, a feeling of distress for others, to yearn, to suffer with another, to have mercy, to show kindness. Does any of that hit home with us this morning? As I look at that, that definition of compassion and think of my life, where do I rank? What part of it is me? Is that me it's talking about? One yearning to help people, desire. You know, I mentioned earlier having an answering machine. Oftentimes it's used to screen out calls or 
not wanting to be disturbed. My phone is on 24 hours a day. And oftentimes people will call me, it may be late at night, maybe in the middle of the night, and they'll say, Pastor, I am so sorry to call this time of night. I don't want you to ever feel sorry about having to call the pastor. This church is a wonderful church. They do not take advantage of the liberty of just calling the pastor, uh, you know, with something that frivolous at a, a very inopportune time. And so I never, when I pick up that telephone, I don't resent it ringing. I can stop what I'm doing. I'm not that important. I don't deserve to have that kind of privacy. Neither do you. <laughs> Amen. Well, I thank God because I know that this congregation is a compassionate congregation. You're about going to Guatemala. You're about being in the prisons, and being on the streets, being where people need you. But what about on the regular job? When we're preoccupied, we want to stand in good with our employer <clears throat> so we don't want to be distracted. But there are people on the job that need us. There are people that need us in the grocery store. We're in the long line waiting and the person in front of us is counting out one penny at a time, a dollar and change. <laughs> Always get behind those people. <laughs> Never fails. I picked the short line because I oh boy, I've got the short line. <laughs> and out comes that purse and all those coins. And then wait until the entire list is checked out and then pull the checkbook out and start writing the check. Think to myself, why didn't they write the check all but the amount so they wouldn't hold this line up? Are you like me? <laughs> Jesus put forth his hand. He put forth his hand and he touched this man. Thank God for the ability to put forth our hands and make a difference and help people they will appreciate it. It will mean so much that we put forth our hand and help them. I'm convinced that we would have more miracles that we could testify about if we have greater compassion, if we have great demonstration of love. There are examples of the compassion of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. Jesus was moved with compassion on the multitudes because they fainted and were scattered as sheep with no shepherd. Watch them drive down the interstate. Watch them in the shopping center. Watch them as the multitudes go by. It's like, a, it's like a flock of sheep with no shepherd. They're going different directions. They've got an agenda. They've got a list. And they've got to do all the things on that list. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. Jesus saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. In a great crowd, in this crowd, there are some sick people, people with infirmities, people with afflictions. They need someone with faith, someone with power and anointing and the gifts of the Spirit to just touch their life and say, may I pray with you? It doesn't have to be with a bottle of oil. That doesn't restrict you from ministering in other settings. 
you can minister to the sick and God will work miracles through this congregation as we seek to heal the sick. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 22, he had compassion on the multitude and fed 4,000 and he fed 5,000 besides women and children. They had basketfuls left over. I preached about this last Wednesday night and it was not basketfuls of crumbs. That'd be an awful lot of crumbs to fill up a basket. It was pieces, edible pieces that could be con uh, conserved, could be saved for future use, maybe for the disciples to use on their future journey. Jesus had compassion on two blind men in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34, and he healed them. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 13, he had compassion on a widow woman who was in a funeral procession and her son, her only son was dead and they were going to bury him and he raised him from the dead, touched that funeral bar and he raised a young man to life. Thank God Jesus never avoided funerals. He never avoided weddings. Did his first miracle at a wedding and maybe that's one reason why you don't do more miracles is you avoid weddings. Maybe another reason why you don't do more miracles, you avoid funerals. So he raised this young man from the dead. Thank God. There's always an opportunity for life to flow through us in the ministry God has given us. We have the story of a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among the thieves, and of course, they robbed him and beat him and left him wounded and half dead. And the good Samaritan came along after the priest and the Levite had passed by on the other side. And the good Samaritan helped the young, bound the, the man's wounds up and poured in oil and wine, put him on his beast, took him to the inn, paid his bill and said to the innkeeper, if you spend more than I'm giving you, when I come back, I'll refund whatever it is. I'll make it good. Who do you think showed compassion that day? Not the priest, not the Levite. It wasn't the religious crowd. It was the good Samaritan, maybe of a different race. He may have showed this kindness to a man who was a Jew because he went down from Jerusalem, the center of Judaism, to Jericho. So very likely he was a Jew. So the good Samaritan came along and showed the love of God, showed mercy, showed compassion. We need to step out of the box. We need to, during this wonderful season of the year, forget about whether or not we get to the front line in, at the checkout counter or at the bargain basement and whether we get the first opportunity to buy that television set that's a, a leading sales item and there's only so many of them it may be that someone else needs it more than we do because we've already got one in every room. <laughs> Will you bow your heads? Sir, you came here today because Jesus has compassion on you. Lady, Young person, you're here because Jesus has compassion on you. He cares about you. He wants to change your life. If you need that change, if you're not saved, or if you're a backslider, 
I want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need that change. Quickly, lift your hand anywhere. Slip it up, right up and down. Two adults gave their heart to the Lord in that early service, all the way on the back row. Slip your hand up. If you need that change in your life, indicate it by an uplifted hand. I need to be saved. I've wandered away from God. I need to come home to God. Please pray for me. Raise your hand wherever you are. Yes, I see you. Thank you for lifting your hand and you can let it down. How many more? For everyone that lifted your hand now, I'm going to lead this entire congregation in a prayer. I want everyone to pray this prayer, please. Dear God in heaven, I confess my sins. I'm sorry that I failed. I need your mercy. I need your compassion. I need your love. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.